Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Abolition Today. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. The prison begins after, uh, after slavery. You know, you had all these people on all these plantations, all these farms who were making money. America is built on the exploitation of black labor. America is built on slave labor. So slavery ends, and suddenly the slave codes turn into black codes, right? Because the 13th Amendment abolishes slavery, right? But it only abolishes slavery except under the condition of prison. In other words, if you commit a crime, if you're incarcerated, according to the 13th Amendment, slavery is still allowed. So you're technically a slave if you're in prison. Absolutely. You can legally be told what to do. Your labor can be forced, etc. So if, if, no, if, if nobody's a... If you, so think about it like this. You need slaves to keep the economy going. You don't have slaves anymore unless people commit a crime. So what do you do? You make everything a crime. So suddenly the slave codes became the black code. So now black people can be arrested for vagrancy, for standing outside, for cursing in front of a woman, for being out of town without a job. All of these things, which are fairly arbitrary crimes, or if crimes at all, they take them and they throw them back into the prison. And then they have something called the convict lease system, where the prison can lease the convicts out to the same plantations they left to do the same work that they did as slaves. So now the slaves have become free only to become slaves again through prison. And that is the system that we're dealing with right now, a, a, a new version of the convict lease system. And that's why labor is exploited, and that's why prisons have become even more for profit. That's why we see more privatization, because people because make, people a money, make, make a money in this country on exploited country labor, and this is one example. Change your mind. Stop calling it the things that it is not. It's not mass incarceration. It's not all those things I mentioned before. What is it? Slavery. What do we want to hear? Slavery. What are we fighting? Slavery. Once again, you're listening to Abolition Today. This is your host, Max Parthas, along with Yusuf Hassan, and we are bringing you the news, the themes, the song, the music, the revolution, the movement of abolition today, keeping you up to date, past and present, and bringing it all together so you can have a working understanding of how modern-day slavery and human trafficking works today in the United States under the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Let's go into our first story coming up, and uh, I don't have it uploaded. Let's go into another track and see how that works. Greetings, sisters and brothers. My name is Joko Shima Jinsai, Executive Director of Amend the 13th. We have gathered here today 
because America is a slave state. A nation that has preserved for itself the prerogative in law to exploit in one form or another the capture and bondage of human beings. The most enduring legacy of destruction and human misery in the history of the United States and perhaps the world is the legacy of legal slavery in America. Its attendant prejudices and unequal relationships have persisted through every evolution of American productive and social life. It has been preserved in law and enshrined in the very structure of American institutions, casting a specter of hate and hierarchy across the lives of millions over the course of centuries. Every year that passes and this legacy endures, history condemns those who preserved it and those who allowed it to be preserved by others. From the slave codes to the black codes, to the legal slavery provision of the 13th Amendment, and the thousands of civil death statutes that derive their legal authority therefrom, America has made a mockery of the concept of freedom and justice for all by ensuring it is always denied to some. But these words are nothing new, and neither is the notion of abolition. The legacy of legal slavery in America has been wrote about, debated, railed against, condemned, protested, attacked, bruised, battered, even warred against, but it has never been overcome. Slavery, the economic, political, and social exploitation of human bondage, is a structural component of American law, American capitalism, and American society. Your society. There have been points in history where it was critically wounded, and the final blow could have been delivered. But instead, it was deferred down the blind alley of reform, allowing it to merge altered but intact. American society, across the length and breadth of its history, has resisted, out of fear or institutional reaction, the opportunity for genuine freedom and structural social change every time it has been confronted with the prospect. The human misery of New Africans in America, unabated since 1619 and unparalleled in human history, continues today. New Africans remain the most disproportionately impacted population in the current scheme of legal slavery, mass incarceration. Though this fact cannot be minimized or diminished, it must be understood that in America's modern scheme of legal slavery, no culture is exempt. Latinos, immigrants, Asians, and poor Euro-Americans are all fuel for the modern prison industrial slave complex. We live in a nation where corporations are deemed people, where greed is touted as a virtue, and slavery remains legal. They have crafted laws which target our communities and manufactured social conditions where people are compelled in absolute desperation to abrogate these laws just to survive. And they have done so to erect a structure where social control, economic exploitation, and political scapegoating have merged to form one of the largest industries in the United States, the prison industrial slave complex. We must all understand this was not by chance or happenstance. It was by design. With detached calculation, U.S. political and corporate interests built upon the legal slavery provision pre-installed in the U.S. Constitution's 13th Amendment through each successive stage of U.S. social development. Each evolution in U.S. society saw a corresponding expansion trend towards industrialization of imprisonment. Prisoners, parolees, and those under other forms of social control are the only remaining legal slaves of the day. And the new slave master is the state. The state is the primary tool and weapon of the ruling class. The state's interests are the ruling class's interests. Period. It is their chief weapon of dominance over the remainder of society. The regime of Donald Trump is currently demonstrating this fact in clear, unambiguous terms. There was a time in history when that weapon was always pointed at the rebellious African slave, the unruly Native American, the resistant Machika, or the irate indentured servant. Today, that weapon is still aimed at their descendants, who now make up the vast majority of the lumpen, the underclass, the convicted felon, 
the prisoner. Because we, like the slave, the native, and the indentured before us, have no interest in upholding and perpetuating a system which declares its intent to dehumanize and repress us, we have instead chose to change it. And in so doing, create a new society where freedom, justice, and equality shines down on all humanity like a star in the night. When we speak of America being a locked, anti-poor society, we are speaking of the conscious dehumanization of the nationally impressed, the underclass, and the lumpen. This warped social perspective has provided the psychological impetus for the progressive expansion of legal slavery in America. According to the Bureau of Justice Statistics, the prison population rose from under 100,000 in 1925 to over 2.2 million in prison and another 7 million under some form of state control in the U.S. today. This unprecedented influx of human beings under the social control of a single state industry had not been seen since the shadow slave era. The nature of capitalism is to exploit mechanisms of social control for the private accumulation of the social product. And with tens of billions of tax dollars pouring into hunting, capturing, detaining, trying, convicting, and imprisoning people, corporate interests of every sort were forged into a single cabal of business and government with the single purpose of economically and politically exploiting criminalization and human bondage. The modern prison industrial slave complex has realized the promise of legal slavery calculated so long ago in the 13th Amendment, and no aspect of social life, from the electoral process to basic housing, has been left untouched by its corrupting influence. We tend to forget that prison is a socially hostile microcosm of society itself, that the race and class divisions polarizing society are maximized for those under direct state control. Hierarchy and division, to divide, conquer, subordinate and rule, has been the consistent theme of American governance throughout every era of its history. The era of mass incarceration is no different. For decades, in communities and prisons across this nation, they pit us against one another, and we allowed them to do this to us. They used our fear of criminal victimization and our antagonisms, antagonisms born of this system they created as a basis to erect a system of mass incarceration which continues to devastate New Africans, Latinos, the working class, and the poor. Slaves in the modern prison industrial slave complex cannot vote, cannot strike or organize their labor to defend their dignity and humanity from infringement or abuse. They cannot write, draw, or read what they like. Prisoners are not people under U.S. law. They are slaves. Yet their slave status is not left at the gate, but follows them back into society, where former prisoners are no more than third-class citizens. Even upon release, modern U.S. slaves cannot vote have restrictions on where he or she can live, who they can associate with, if they can drive, where they can work, or even if they can engage in a particular profession. This has had devastating consequences on our communities, from political disenfranchisement, barring millions from the polls, to economic disenfranchisement, fueling the desperation and violence which has claimed far too many lives. They broadcast our communities' poverty, our underdevelopment, and our conflicts, contradictions, to an uninformed public to secure ever larger portions of your tax dollars, further enriching themselves, as we are further dehumanized and despised. In communities across this nation and behind the walls, many of us helped them out by embracing this fiction and fought one another with delusional gusto as they built a monolith of money and political power in pools of our blood and tears. Until we decided we'd had enough. And just like that, 
hundreds of years of capitalist institutional exploitation is put in jeopardy. Understand, legal slavery in America is not a prison issue or a constitutional issue or even solely a social issue. It is an issue of the nature and structure of society itself and what we, you and I, are willing to do to change it. The reason legal slavery in America has endured so long is because the institutions of our society have preserved it. Because we have not with one voice declared its demise. Because we have not with one resolve moved against the unequal social, economic, and political relationships which maintain it. But here and now, history has again provided us an opportunity to redeem it. Brothers and sisters, I come here today to share with you all one possible solution. A blueprint on how we can redeem history by... All right, let me just pause it there since this is only a test run. Anyway, one of the stories that I'm going to cover today is this discussion in Minnesota on removing the exception clause to modern-day slavery and human trafficking, which is embedded in their state constitution. And we'll go right to that. You got everyone? Uh, oh, here we go, Representative Nora. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Welcome everyone, I'm State Representative John Lesh, and we're here today uh, to introduce the constitutional amendment that would ban slavery from the Minnesota Constitution. Our United States Constitution was drafted with the intent of forming a more perfect union, and over time we've encountered ways in which our country is less than perfect. In the 1800s, we collectively decided that slavery and involuntary servitude were such egregious breaches of human and civil rights that would, they would no longer be acceptable in our country. All right, that sounds good. I'm listening to it uh, through my earphones as a listener would listen, and it's coming in very clear. I don't know about my voice because I don't have anybody to assist me today in listening on that end, but I think we'll be okay for Sunday. So with that said, let me pull up the in, the extra, how we leave, and say like this. I was born a slave in Tuckahoe near Hillsborough and about 12 miles from Easton in Talbot County, Maryland. I have no accurate knowledge of my age. By far, the larger part of the slaves know as little of their ages as horses know of theirs. And it is the wish of most masters within my knowledge to keep their slaves thus ignorant. I do not remember to have ever met a slave who could tell his birthday. They seldom come nearer to it than planting time, harvest time, cherry time, spring time, or fall time. From various inquiries I have made, I have determined that I was born sometime in February in the year 1817. My mother was named Harriet Bailey, and she was a slave. She was of a very dark complexion. Of my father, I know nothing. Slavery has no recognition of fathers as none of families. That the mother is a slave is enough for its deadly purpose. By its laws, the child follows the condition of its mother. The father may be a freeman and the child a slave. I do not recollect ever seeing my mother by the light of day. She was with me in the night. She would lie down with me and get me to sleep. But long before I waked, She was gone. Once she walked 12 miles to see me and had the same distance to travel again before the morning sunrise. Death soon ended what little communication we had between us and with it her hardships and suffering. She died when I was but seven years old on one of my master's farms 
I was not allowed to be present during her illness at her death or her burial. She was gone long before I knew anything about it. I've had two masters. My first master's name was Anthony. I do not remember his first name. He was generally called Captain Anthony, a title which I presume he acquired by sailing a craft on the Chesapeake Bay. He owned two or three farms and about 30 slaves. Want of food was my chief trouble under Captain Anthony. I have often been so pinched with hunger as to dispute with old Nep, the dog, for the crumbs which fell from the kitchen table. Many times have I followed with eager step the waiting girl when she shook the tablecloth to get the crumbs and small bones flung out for the dogs and cats. It was a great thing to have the privilege of dipping a piece of bread into the water in which meat had been boiled. And the skin taken from the rusty bacon was a positive luxury. I suffered also much from cold. In hottest summer and coldest winter, I was kept almost naked. No shoes, no stockings, no jacket, no trousers. Nothing but a coarse toe linen shirt, reaching only to my knees. I had no bed. I must have perished with cold, but that the coldest nights I used to steal a bag which was used for carrying corn to the mill. I would crawl into this bag and there sleep on the cold, damp clay floor with my head in and feet out. My feet have been so cracked with the frost that a pin might be laid in the gashes. My master's farms and slaves were under the care of an overseer. The overseer's name was Plummer. Mr. Plummer was a miserable drunkard, a profane swearer, and a savage monster. He always went armed with a cowskin and a heavy cudgel. I have known him to cut and slash the women's heads so horribly that even Master would be enraged at his cruelty and would threaten to whip him if he did not mind himself. Master, however, was not a humane slaveholder. It required extraordinary barbarity on the part of an overseer to affect him. He was a cruel man, hardened by a long life of slaveholding. Slaves were expected to sing as well as to work. A silent slave was not liked, either by masters or overseers. Make a noise there. Make a noise there. And bear a hand were words usually addressed to slaves when they were silent. The remark was often made that slaves were the most contented and happy laborers in the world, and their singing was referred to in proof of this alleged fact. But it was a great mistake to suppose them happy, because they sometimes made these joyful noises. The songs of the slaves represented their sorrows rather than joys. They told a tale of woe. They breathed the prayer and complaint of souls boiling over with bitterest anguish. Every tone was a testimony against slavery and a prayer to God for deliverance from change. Underneath the hanging tree He looks just like me So tell me, am I really free? Could have been my mother 
crying for my brother And everybody, everybody, everybody's praying for peace But who's gonna protect us from the police? Keep these chains on me Cause I don't wanna be another seat underneath the hanging tree That song don't move you. I don't know what will. It looks like this has been a successful test. Everything sounds nice and clear. Our next time talking on here will be Sunday, March 15th, 7 p.m., right here at the same URL. Peace.